Um, so thrilled to uh, introduce, well, Bill doesn't need any introduction, but to introduce his talk. Uh, this is the third in our uh, 10 Tough Talks series that we're doing, uh, looking at the challenging things that Jesus says. Um, it's so easy, isn't it, just to cherry pick the nice, sort of comforting, encouraging bits from the Bible. And some of the things Jesus said are just so challenging. And we have to make a decision. Do we just want sort of, you know, a fluffy faith? Or do we really want to be followers of this rabbi, disciples who obey his commandments and thereby change lives and change the world? And uh, so we are uh, looking at some of the tough things he said. As you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was, uh, Adam uh, launched a series talking about the call to discipleship. And uh, then uh, last week we had John and Ellie Mumford talking about Christ's call to receive. And uh, this week we are thinking about uh, Jesus' uh, requirement, expectation of us that we would pray and fast. Uh, raise your hand if you're excited about the prospect of fasting. Uh, just a couple of you here. Good. Uh, I must confess, when I was planning this uh, series, I said, oh, Lord, do we have to teach on fasting? Uh, and uh, he said to me, yes. So, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we don't want just a, cu a culturally comfortable faith. We want to be radical disciples of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Bill lives this stuff, and he's going to share with us uh, about it. So, uh, Bill, over to you. Good morning. Let's, um, let's just read from some scripture. Let's hear from some scripture. So this is Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 5 and 6, and then 16 to 18. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have had their rewards in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others you're fasting, but only to your Father who's, who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We pray because Jesus commanded us to, but he also invited us to. Prayer is right at the heart of what we do, who we are as a church. It's kind of one our, our, part of our core DNA. I hope that if we, if we were a human body and you cut us open, that we would, one of the things that we would bleed would be prayer. That's why we have a prayer room and why we're looking at moving more into more, uh, more 24-7 prayer. 
That's why we have uh, Kingdom Come evenings where we kind of cut loose and let go of the agenda and see what God does. That, that's why, uh, for those of you who are members of this church, this time last year, actually November last year, we called a day, uh, we invited you to join us in a day of, pray, of praying and fasting as we considered the options as we thought about buildings and how we were going to continue to grow as a church. I'm going to look at... Uh, prayer first, and then we're going to move to look at fasting. Now, the reason why I pray is because I love Jesus. It's really easy, isn't it, for prayer? We talk about prayer, and it becomes this kind of conceptual thing that we do, this idea. But actually, prayer is just talking to Jesus. Uh, I love talking to Jesus for a number of reasons. First of all, because uh, he listens until I'm finished. Occasionally he does say we've talked about this a number of times. <laughs> but, but I can talk to him about the stuff that I'm worried about. I can talk to him about the stuff that I'm, exci- uh, that I'm excited about. I can thank him. I love what Pete said uh, the other week, which is if we only thank God for the big things, we're only thankful some of the time. But if we thank him for the little things, that we're thankful all the time. I love thanking him. I love talking to him. Um, I love the fact that, that it's a two-way conversation. I'll talk to him and he'll talk to me. He'll, he'll talk to me about stuff, sometimes about stuff in my own life. Sometimes he'll start talking to me about people that I know, sometimes people I don't know, and he'll just begin to share his heart with me for them. Sometimes he'll share his heart with me for situations happening uh, in other places. And, and, I, and often my response to that is to pray. Um, I, always, I always love walking, so I love to sort of prayer walk. Um, I recently have um, decided that for the sake of my health, um, and because it costs quite a lot of money to park in Guildford, that I'm going to try cycling into work uh, a little bit more. And, and this, was ex- this idea was accelerated somewhat recently where our car was in the garage, and our car didn't come out of the garage the day it was supposed to, so I basically had to decide how I was going to get to work. So... Uh, and I had a meeting that I was probably going to be late for anyway, so I thought, right, I'll cycle straight down the Downs Link. I don't like cycling on the road because, you know, all those cars kind of back up behind you, and it feels really scary when lorries sort of vroom, zoom past you, and you sort of feel your whole bike shake. Um, so I started going on the Downs Link, and I got to near Bramley, and this conversation happened. Um, I felt God say to me, if you keep going on the Downs Link, your bike is not, it isn't really built to cope with the Downs Link. You're going to get a puncture. Uh, but I said, Lord, are you sure? Because the downslink is much quicker. And he said, well, you, you'll probably get a puncture. I said, well, I'll take my chances. And, and so I got over the downslink, just got just past Bramley Station, about 250, 300 meters further down. And yep, you guessed it. I got a punch. And I did just hear this voice say, well, I did warn you. Because <laughs> God's interested in the big things and the little things. Uh, in our lives. One of the other things I love doing, and I was really inspired to do this, Bill Hybels, who is the leader of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, it's a massive church doing extraordinary things. Uh, He uh, talks about finding your chair. We're going to watch a video in just a minute, but I love, one of the things I love, I have this chair in my office, and I love sitting in it, and uh, what I do is I get the other chair, and and I sit it opposite me, um, it just helps me focus a little bit, and I just talk to God. My kids, occasionally, they'll open the door, they'll see the other chair facing one, and they'll just walk back out again. And it's like, he's talking to God right now, Mum. 
Um, but I love that. So, but I thought rather than me talking about a video that I'd seen about Bill Hybels talking about finding a chair, I thought it'd be fun to watch it. So if we can dim the lights. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to watch Bill Hybels talking about finding your chair. An advertising executive came down to talk to me after a service, and he had just become a Christian. I had, I had baptized him at the church, and so... And uh, he said, I, I just can't make time for a meeting with God. He said, you have no idea what it's like to commute downtown every day. And you live in a different world. I, I, can't, I just can't fit, it, fit that kind of thing into my life. And I remember looking at this young guy, hard-charging young guy. And, and I said, here's my experience. And I'm not, you know, I'm only like 24 years old. So there it is. I said, I've always been able to make time for stuff I value. Just how my life works. If I value something, I'll make time to experience it. If I don't, I won't. And I'm making time for a meeting with God in my life. You do it any way you want. And uh, he wasn't too happy with me that day, I don't think. And I didn't see him for a while. And then afterwards, I saw him many months later. And when he came down to talk to me, he, his countenance was different. He felt different. His conversation was different. And he invited Lynn and me, he and his wife invited Lynn and me to go over to their house for dinner. So we accepted. He lived right in the area. And so we go over to their house, and uh, as we're kind of just having some appetizers beforehand, he takes me over to a rocking chair. And he says, you know how you challenged me to have a meeting with God and to just to make the time? He said, I, I've, I love rocking chairs, so I bought a good one. And you said that maybe if you're going to make this repeatable and enjoyable, you should look at some scene or vista that you enjoy looking at. And he said, I've got a little backyard here and I love looking over the backyard. So he said, I, I just bought this chair and I put it in the, at my favorite window where I can overlook the backyard. And he said, I got up a half hour earlier, 15, 20 minutes, half hour earlier each day, the last several months. I sit in the chair, I have a cup of coffee and he goes, I read God's word. I try to make sense of it. I ask him to speak to me by his word. Then I meditate on it, reflect it, apply it to my life. Then he said, I write some thoughts down in a journal and I pray. I pray that I will be more aware of his presence in my life. And I said, how's, how's that going for you? And his wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going for him. He's a changed guy. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centered. He's a more gentle and loving man in our marriage and to our children. I was very impressed with this, that he could show me his chair, that he had taken the time, that he had fashioned a meeting with God that he looked forward to because he liked the chair, he liked the view, he liked the coffee, he was a morning guy, and he fell into this pattern. Many months later, uh, I had coffee with him one time, and he said, I'm thinking about leaving my job in advertising. He said, it just, it, um, I think I'm done with that. I said, where'd you get these ideas? And he said, well, in my meetings with God in the chair. That's, he's been putting those thoughts in my mind. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, maybe I'll just help you build the church. I said, well, no one's getting paid around here, you know. And he said, well, I've done pretty well in advertising. I can hold on for a while, and, and uh, maybe if the church grows, you know, then maybe they can help me and my family in some way. 
And I said, well, you better go back to that chair and see if God's really in this because I don't want to take responsibility for your life and all this. And he said, okay, I will. And came back about a month later and he said, you know, I gave notice at, at work and if it's all the same to you, I'm just going to help you start building the church. You pay me what you can, but it's not a concern of mine. And this guy joined our staff and I'm telling you, he was a hardworking, energized, joyful, uh, industrious individual that really, really helped our church and was on our staff for many, many years. One of the best staff members in the early days of the church. Then one day he comes into my office and he said, you know, I, I still do that meeting with God in that chair, that rocking chair. And he said, God's been stirring in my life in my meetings with God. And he said, a friend of mine's starting a brand new church in Colorado. And I think I'm gonna pack my family up and move to Colorado. I said, can they support you? He said, no, I'm gonna have to go back into the marketplace and make some money because they, they can't afford anything. And uh, I said, you, are you ready to do that? And he said, you know, every morning I talk to God about it. And he said, I'm really fired up about it. So we said goodbye to him and he packed his family up and he went out and he went back into advertising, made a lot of money and gave most of it to the startup church. And it became a fantastic church. And then in that same chair that he moved out to Colorado, sitting at a window in the morning like he had done for many, many years now, he processed a bad medical report he got from the doctor that cancer had come his way. And he kept working and he kept supporting that church and uh, he got sicker and sicker. It was a very fast-spreading kind of cancer. And uh, then he was hospitalized and one of the great losses he felt when he was in the hospital is that he didn't have his chair. And he died quite soon thereafter, and I did his funeral in Colorado. And I was talking to his widow, his wife, uh, at the funeral reception afterwards. I said, that was something about that chair, wasn't it? She said, his whole life changed in that chair. I said, what are you going to do with the chair? And she said, we are going to pass that chair on to our children and on to our grandchildren in the hopes that someone would sit in it like Tom did and have their life transformed. Simple question, gang. Where's your chair? Where do you meet with God? Where do you reflect on his word and open yourself to his power? Where, where do you become aware of his presence in your life? Where is that? And some of you go, well, you know, I mean, I don't have a nice backyard to look out on. It doesn't work for me. It, the thing about the unlimited presence of God is that you can meet with him anywhere. Your chair can be anywhere. When we first started, Lynn and I first started taking our summer study breaks in South Haven, that little town on the other side, uh, we rented a one-bedroom cottage in the summer times, and so it was chaos with two kids in, in that cottage. So I would leave, and I would go to the Burger King in the morning for 30, 40, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. First booth on the right when you come in the door, Main Street in South Haven. I did that little practice for nine years. Fiberglass booth in a Burger King. I made some of the most important ministry and personal decisions in my life 
fiberglass booth and a Burger King. To this day, when I drive by that Burger King, I look at it and I go, man, God met me there. There's a carpenter in this church that meets with God every morning in the front seat of his pickup truck, brings a thermos of coffee and his Bible. Half hour before the construction starts, he just sits in the front seat of his pickup truck, absorbs the word of God, meets with God, surrenders himself with God, to God, asks for direction in his life. A young mom that I know goes to Starbucks whenever she can. Corner table, meets with God. Where's your chair? When you meet with a friend, let's say for a lunch, what happens is if you've connected with that friend, after you leave the restaurant or wherever it is, you think about that friend later on in the afternoon. When you meet with God, you think about him more throughout the course of your day. His presence lingers after the meeting. Where's your chair? All of us um, have busy lives. You know, for me at the moment, stage of life I'm in, my, my chair is my car. I drop my kids off first thing in the morning. I just go before I go anywhere else. I just sit somewhere in the car, spend some time with God, read the Bible, talk to him, listen to him, get myself ready for the day. And prayer isn't an idea it's not something that I do because I have to. Like I said, I do it because I love Jesus. I'm married to Nikki now. If someone said, well, why do you talk to Nikki? I said, well, I, I, I talk to her because I feel I should. <laughs> that wouldn't be much of a marriage. I talk to her because I love her and I, I want to hear from her and she wants to hear from me. It's the same with prayer. So I want to encourage you. you know, find your chair. Find your chair. Now let's think about Fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be to others, obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you fast. Jesus just assumed that it was something that we would do. We just heard extraordinary stories about what God is doing in the Persian world. In a world, incidentally, where fasting is part of the culture. God can do extraordinary things uh, when we fast. But what is fasting? Well, fasting is abstaining primarily, although not exclusively, from, uh, from food in order to focus our attention and devotion to God in a particular way. Of course, fasting is a discipline, but it is also a devotion. It is a way of showing God how much we love him. For some of us, fasting food uh, may be difficult for all sorts of reasons. Uh, that's okay. There are other things that you can fast. Daniel in the Bible, fast body lotion, fasted body lotion. So it may be that you fast moisturizer. It could be that you fast something else. We'll talk more about that later. But, but 
but don't let food, if food is a stumbling block or is a, there's a medical reason, don't let that stop you uh, benefiting from fasting. Um, where the first job I got when, we, when I uh, got ordained, I worked in this urban priority area in North London, very, very, very deprived part of London, high unemployment, high incidence of mental illness. And uh, there, was, there was this, we lived right on the edge of this enormous housing estate, uh, one of the biggest housing estates in North London. And what complicated uh, where we lived was it was literally at the, at the corner of three boroughs in London. It was on the border of Islington, Haringey, and Hackney. And what that meant was that quite often things crossed borders and, and people crossed borders, all this sort of stuff, which meant the people, the police, the social services, all those kind of things, it got massively complicated. It was a very, very complicated uh, social uh, situation, socioeconomic situation. And we had these friends, um, we've got these friends called Will and Debs, and they heard about what God had been starting to do on this, with the work that we were doing on the estate particularly, and they said, we're gonna move. They had a small family just like us. They said, we're gonna move, and we're like, are you sure? Um, and they were like, no, we really feel called to move. And do you know what the funny thing was? They could not find anywhere to live on the estate for love nor money. Either it was exorbitantly expensive and they couldn't afford it, or, or there just wasn't the accommodation available. So Nikki, my wife, and a, a friend of ours uh, decided she was gonna pray. She decided to, uh, uh, to, she was going to pray and she was going to fast, and she decided to fast alcohol. So she fasted alcohol for five months, and every time she felt like having a glass of wine, which she's married to me, so that was quite often. We had three small children, so it was even more often. Every time she felt uh, like she wanted a drink, what she'd do is she'd, she'd pray instead that God would open the door for our friends. And do you know what? It took five months and then, miraculously, this place became available, very low rent. Now, was that just because of prayer and fasting? I don't know. But, but I, I defy you uh, to tell me that fasting in some way did not open that door so that our friends could move in and have this extraordinary impact on, on the ministry that we were doing on the estate. Jesus launched his entire ministry after 40 days of fasting. The reason why we talk about prayer and fasting together is because Jesus talked about prayer and fasting together. When you fast, you don't just abstain from, from food, you pray. Obviously, for most of us, fasting is something that we do relatively rarely. It's not a, a, a part of our lives on a regular basis. There are people, um, I've got this friend called Hamdi, and it is a particular call in his life where he will, he will pray for extended periods of time uh, under kind of observation and under accountability. But all of us can fast uh, a little bit. All of us can fast a little bit. I want to look at three ways that fasting can impact our devotion, our relationship with Jesus. The first one is worship. When we worship, we tell Jesus we love him and we'll do anything for him. And he'll, he can have my yes and he can have my all. He can also have my meal, so to speak. He can have that time that I, that I might uh, be having a meal. He can have that every now and again as well. It's a way of saying to God, you're really important. For me, like, I love food. So, so, um, uh, so when, when, when I fast, I'm not saying, God, look, you're really important to me. Secondly, uh, it can impact the way that we wait. 
when we, I don't know about you, have you ever really needed to hear from God? And like nothing, you seem to be hitting a wall or you don't seem to be getting any answer. Well, before we moved um, to Guildford, I did a secret little fast. It's a big deal for us. We got three children in school. Um, we didn't know you as well as we do now. It was a big deal. And I, and I felt like on the one hand, it seemed obvious. On the other hand, I hadn't, didn't feel like I'd had a definitive answer. So I just fasted. It's extraordinary how God just spoke to me as I fasted. Something happens to us when we deny ourselves food for a, for a period of time. Uh, we get a focus that we wouldn't otherwise get. And we hear from God in ways that maybe we wouldn't otherwise hear from him. Third thing is warfare. It lends power to our prayer when we need particular breakthrough. Jesus fasted in the wilderness. As he fasted in the wilderness, he overcame the enemy. Fasting can become a weapon. Like I said, when we lived in North London in the, on this estate, uh, the, 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 year that we, the year after we moved there, 27 young people were murdered uh, through knife crime in, in, in a matter of weeks. One of them um, a few roads down from, from where the church was. And so what happened? We had loads of Nigerian, they're called awkward aunties, and uh, they decided that we needed to do something about this. So they said, we're going to pray and we're going to fast. So they prayed and fasted a lot. They were slightly older. It was slightly easier for them. They didn't have such busy lives. And some of us prayer walked. And what happened is I got to know the police sergeant at the police station, which is on the, on the edge of the estate, uh, police detective sergeant. And two extraordinary things happened. The police had been asking for ages um, for, them to, for the council to put a, a barrier in the road, in this one particular road, because this was where a lot of the drug dealing happened because it was easy to escape uh, among a, a number of different roads uh, because this one road that gave them access was open. A couple of weeks after um, the aunties started fasting, they didn't fast every day, but when they started fasting, for no reason, still I don't think anyone knows why now, some from the this van arrived from the council, they dug up the road and put a barrier in. Been trying for years. The police, the police didn't even know it was coming, it was just suddenly there. Um, and, then, uh, and, then, and then what happened is the police sergeant said to me, I don't know what, and they'd see us sort of wandering around, praying and, and, uh, and smiling and... and uh, the police sergeant uh, said to me, but I don't know what it is your church is doing, but whatever it's, it's, you're doing, something's happening. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, the number of incidents of knife crime on this estate has dropped dramatically. He said the, number of drug deal the, the amount of drug dealing happening on this estate has dropped significantly. He said, so whatever you're doing, keep doing it. When you get a, a non-Christian police detective sergeant saying, basically keep praying and fasting, because something's changing, something's shifting. We're seeing breakthrough in a way that they hadn't uh, before. It's amazing. And there's, there's this one story in this season when there was a lot of fasting particularly in, uh, going on. There was a fight in the, in the youth club at the center of the estate. And uh, a couple of teenagers were playing table tennis. And uh, one of them had um, sort of slapped the other one across the face with the table tennis bat. So the other teenager had grabbed him, pulled him outside, pulled the gun, put it to his head and pulled the trigger. But the gun hadn't gone off. And when the firearms, you know, the whole place, or the police had descended on the place, uh, none of them could work out why the gun hadn't gone off. It should have gone off. Now, was that because we prayed and fasted? I'd like to think in some way in that moment, God used 
the sacrifice of people who have been praying and fasting, we saw breakthrough. It's extraordinary things can happen uh, when we uh, decide we're going to pray and fast. You know, the thing is, though, that God is not drawn to uh, religion. That's why Jesus said, don't make a big song and dance about it. Don't, the reason he says, you know, don't cover your face with stuff is because what, what was happening in those days, people used to put ash on their face in order to you know, let their hair become all bedraggled because they wanted people to know how pious they were and how religious they were and how serious and devout they were. And Jesus said, well, you know, if that's the reward you're after, people knowing, well, that's the reward you'll get. You won't see anything else, but well done you, as my headmaster used to say at school. Well done you. Uh, uh, years ago, we took a bunch of uh, teenagers from the church, uh, the church I was working at um, at the time, out to the Philippines. And I had this T-shirt. It wasn't even a very nice T-shirt. But one of the kids uh, at this place where we were just really, really liked my T-shirt. And, um, and so I felt God say, well, give him the T-shirt. And I thought, this is an amazing teaching opportunity. I'm going to teach the children here all about sacrifice. So what I did was uh, during a service, I sort of made this, I'd like to give you this T-shirt in front of everybody else. Uh, I you know, felt like God telling me that I should give you this T-shirt, and I'm giving this T-shirt. And I went on and on and on. So people started to glaze over. Nikki tells me I need to notice when people are glazing over and move on. Um, but uh, uh, after I'd done that, I just, I just heard this one word, clink. And I said, Lord, I just heard a clink. He goes, yeah, that was your treasure. Well done. You just had it. You know, any, any, any treasure I might have had. And God promises there's a reward. When we pray, there's a reward. When we fast, there's a reward. He said, you just had it. Everyone thought, well done you. Well done, Bill. So that's your treasure right there. <laughs> God's heart is always drawn to people who seek after him, who are devoted to him, who show that by praying and by fasting. 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He promises in Jeremiah 29.11, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In my experience, there's a difference between fasting because we think we should and fasting when we sense God calling us to. There's a grace that comes in the latter that doesn't come in the former. You know, when we think, oh, I should fast, I should definitely fast, and, and, and we become religious, there's no grace in that. We don't get grace from God in that. When, when we sense the, the whisper of God encouraging us to fast and we, we're obedient, and we'll talk more about the mechanics of that in a minute, we get an, I, I find I get an extraordinary grace. I find that what is more difficult sometimes, I find a lot easier. A couple of really practical things, mechanics. The first is, we need to think about the timing of fasting. And if you have a crazy busy job or, or you are doing something that requires a lot of energy, you need to think really carefully about how you fast. The first thing is uh, how you fast, what you fast, and for how long you fast. How, what, and for how long. And I'd want to encourage you if, you, if it's not your practice to fast at the moment or you haven't fasted for a while, let me put it in a gym analogy. So before the summer, I was doing lots of exercise, and I was going to gym, and I was lifting a sort of, well, it wasn't very much, but it, you know, it, it, it felt good. And what happened is over the summer, I didn't do any exercise at all. And then uh, the beginning of September, kids are back at school, right, back to the gym. 
And what I did was I went into the gym. I didn't warm up at all because I was short for time. I went and I put on the weight. Uh, it didn't take very long because there wasn't much of it. Weight onto the, onto the bench press machine and uh, onto the bench press and started trying to bench press. Um, I don't know, for those of you who exercise, if you push yourself a little too hard, you can normally tell the day after or the day after. I could tell as I left the gym. I had that feeling then. And it basically meant that I walked around like Robocop for about a week because I hadn't tapered in at all. In the same way, when you fast, taper in. Tell a friend and taper in. The reason it's good to tell a friend is because they can hold you accountable. This isn't the same as being religious and letting everyone know. Just tell a friend. They can, how's the fast going? You're doing okay. They can encourage you. But also taper in. So maybe start by thinking, you know, a day seems like quite a lot if you haven't fasted before. So fast tea break. I used to be a teacher, and so we used to get break time. So rather than going having a cup of tea and a biscuit in the staff room, I used to just stay in my classroom for a little bit, pray a little bit, start with that. Or maybe, maybe um, after school drop-off, you go uh, and you have a cup of coffee with a couple of friends in Starbucks. Maybe just fast a coffee once a week. One of my friends, he fasts lunch every Wednesday. He prays for his, the company that he works for. Something really, really simple. And as you find you can do that and there's a grace in that and you see the difference and what God does through that, maybe think about extending it when you feel the whisper of God encouraging you to do that. Uh, next thing is, for some of us, um, as I said, food for all sorts of different reasons, fasting food is, is, is complicated. And that, that is absolutely okay. Uh, for me, some days, uh, just because I'm, if I'm busy, I can go for most of the day without eating, not because I'm trying, I'm fasting, I'm being, you know, it's just because I'm busy. But for me, not doing exercise feels like a real sacrifice sometimes. So I might sacrifice the gym. For you, you may be a massive fan of the great British Bake Off. No pun intended, but maybe fast the great British Bake Off. And when that's on, pray. Seek God. Uh, One of my friends worked out how long they spent on social media in any given day. And, they, and, and he just decided, you know, for 10 minutes a day that I would be doing my sort of morning Facebook surveillance. I'm going to, rather than doing Facebook surveillance, I'm going to pray for my friends instead. He fasted social media. It's amazing. Friends, he's calling up and saying the most extraordinary things are happening. He's just saw breakthrough happening because he didn't use Facebook. It's extraordinary. So I want to encourage you. There are lots of different ways of fasting. As we come into land, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of one thing and encourage you of two. The first thing is, let's not get religious about this. Let's not get religious about prayer. Let's not get religious about fasting. It's a discipline, but it's a devotion. We do these things because we love Jesus. And we will see him move in our lives in ways that maybe uh, he wouldn't if we didn't. Secondly, find a chair. Wherever it is, whatever that looks like for you, find a chair. Find somewhere where you can meet with God, where you can be renewed by his word, where you can be filled by his power, where he can speak to you. And thirdly, just consider. Imagine 
if you're needing breakthrough, if you're needing to hear from God, if you want to do something different in worship, imagine what might happen if you took up Jesus' command, yes, but invitation also, to deprive yourself of something and focus on him instead. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that because you love us, you give us all sorts of different ways to connect in with you, to, to know you and love you more. But I, I want to pray that you'd help us to find a chair. I want to pray that you'd help us to consider pressing in for a, a season and fasting. But Father, more than any of that, Lord, for me, I know that prayer changed for me when I encountered you. I want to pray for each one of us and for each person listening that they would encounter you and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.